is Rob Pau and today in Turbo Talk we're talking to Simon Clark of EF Pro Cycling about the World Championships. And welcome back to the Turbo Talks podcast. It is Thursday, the 24th of September. The Tour de France is already behind us and we're already on to the next great cycling event on a loaded calendar. Because this weekend, the riders switch their team colors for the national colors in Imola, in Italy. It is World Championships time, and today's guest will be swapping the EF pink for Australia's green and gold this Sunday. You've guessed it, it is Simon Clark of EF Pro Cycling. Welcome Simon, thanks for joining us, how are you going? Hi guys, thanks a lot for having me. You are you are currently traveling to Imola. Yep, that's right, uh, just on my way down uh, today, so looking forward to getting out on the circuit uh, before the men's time trial tomorrow and, and cutting a few laps. Because you, you, uh, you've been staying in Italy for the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I've been uh, having raced in, in doing, since the the racing recommenced, I've only raced in Italy, so uh, I've been staying here to try and avoid uh, as much travel as possible and uh, with the Worlds coming up this weekend, I stayed here after Tirreno Adriatico uh, in preparation for Worlds. And coming off Tirreno Adriatico, you also come off a big crash that you had in Stage 5. You caught your eyelid open, lost yeah. a lot of skin, pretty banged up. Yeah. How are you going? Yeah. I mean, I've had a pretty good run with crashes. Uh, I, before this last week, I, I can't even uh, I think... I, you know, I have to go back to some stage of last season when I last crashed. So, uh, I was, I was quite unexpected. I, I wasn't taking any risks. I just hit quite an ugly bump in the middle of a corner and it sent me flying. And next thing I was on the ground and all banged up and we were going quite fast. So, uh, although I didn't break anything, I, I really felt like I hit every muscle in my body when I landed on the ground. So, uh, I've, Probably some of the sorest I've ever been after a crash. Just so, so, uh, so many bruises and bumps. Uh, so it took a, took a good week or so for me to, to feel normal again on the bike. But, uh, I'm glad I got through Torino with, you know, uh, good world's preparation. So it was important, uh, if I, as long as I was okay to finish that, uh, race off and, and complete a good block leading up to, uh, Imola Worlds this weekend. Yeah, because you still did a fair bit of work for Mike Woods after that crash. Looked uh, pretty heroic. Can, can you describe sort of like what's that process what your body is going through to recover from a crash like that? Like you mentioned, like you've just been sore for like a week. And but how much energy does that take up? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, uh, I think age also has a lot to do with it because I never remember, you know, I've had plenty of, big enough crashes over my career and I've never felt as sore as I have after the crash last week. So I, I think maybe as your body gets a bit older, it, it doesn't take these bumps as good as it used to. So I, I really, uh, I really, uh, I came home and I was four kilos heavier than, than when I was before the crash, just from inflammation and, oh, wow. and whatnot. So, uh, I basically spent, <laughs> spent the last 10 days trying to de-inflate <laughs> so <laughs> i've got got back to where i was before torino so that's all good 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, your body just swells up and goes into defensive mode when you take such a hit like that. So uh, I went to the physio every day for the week after I got home and uh, got some good treatment. And what did it do to your good legs? What you said, you had a decent block in Italy so far of the racing. How are the legs leading up now to the Worlds? Yeah, I've just spent the last week, uh, well, I spent the first like five or so days just recovering and uh, crash management, looking after my body. And then I was able to step back into full training and, and start my uh, Worlds preparation with a, a few more good training sessions and some motor pacing uh, leading up to, to leaving today. So was your uh, ride with Cadell yesterday uh, also a bit of motor pacing? Or was he? Ju- or were you motor pacing Cadell? <laughs> uh, he just, I had quite a long ride yesterday. So he came out and did the first couple of hours with me and I did some hill repeats uh, on some of his favorite climbs, actually. Uh, so we did a few laps around his old training ground and then he hit it home and I did uh, a bit of a longer loop and then met up with a friend who, who took me out behind the scooter and we did uh, a bit of a fast hour to finish off the day. So it worked out well. Uh, it was, it's always good to catch up with Cadell. My first pro worlds was uh, in 2009 when I rode for Cadell. So I've got very fond memories of riding world championships with him. And um, yeah, I mean riding, getting any little bit of advice from someone like that can really uh, make a huge difference for you when you're riding with someone who's won the race you're about to go and do. I was, I was just about to ask, did he have any, uh, any special tips for riding the Worlds and how to become a world champion? Can you share a little bit of yeah, an advice? Mean, or? <laughs> uh, I can share a little bit, I suppose. Uh, no, he just we just talked a little about a bit about who would be the key guys to watch and um, and particularly the key countries. Um, I think Belgium uh, probably has the strongest team on paper this year. Uh, and so that will be quite interesting to see how they decide to, to play out the race. Obviously, Italy will be very motivated, um, but I don't know if they have quite the depth that uh, Belgium have. So it will be interesting to see how those two countries play off each other and then yeah you just we just talked about the course and how it's going to be a real race of attrition really and it's just going to be survival and uh sit back and hide and, and wait uh wait out until the last couple of laps because i think on such a demanding course like that you can't afford to be stepping on the pedals too early because you'll run out of gas pretty quickly yeah, so for our listeners, 258.2 kilometers over 5,000 meters of altitude, uh, or elevation, I should say, so a lot of climbing in there, uh, nine laps, two longer climbs. Um, you haven't ridden it yet, but you've probably already had a look, good look at the map. Um, yeah. So, so would it be like something then yeah. for, for climbers or for the puncheurs? What do you reckon? Um, my prediction, I mean, I haven't ridden it, so... But I've, we, we have a really good program we use called VeloViewer and we can pretty much, you know, virtually analyze it, uh, from Google Earth and, and then from the map, uh, it, it lap shows us all the gradients and all the corners. So I've gone through the whole 28, 
kilometer course scrolling through on Google Earth. So I've virtually seen uh, all the descents and the climbs and the corners coming into the climb. So I kind of know what to expect. I just need to get out there and try it. Uh, the most interesting thing for me will be to see the false flat sections on the top of both of the climbs. Yeah. So both of the climbs kind of finish and then there's no real descent immediately and, you know, it's quite undulating and flat and particularly on top of the, the second climb, um, Galisterna, I think it's called, uh, it's, it looks really open. Uh, so I've just interested to, to really look at the how open that top section is and uh, how affected it'll be by the wind and whatnot because that will obviously play a key role. Uh, although uh, from the for weather forecast, it looks like it's probably going to be a northerly wind uh, in the later part of Sunday, which will mean it's a headwind coming, coming back on that second half of the lap, which uh, will also make it interesting and, and something to consider. And what about the rest of the course? I think it's pretty narrow and it's not really flat anywhere, almost on the circuit. Um, I think the predictions are also that it's going to rain a bit. How is that going to influence uh, the race? Is it going to be tricky and more dangerous or what do you reckon about that? Uh, I mean, if it rains, it's definitely going to be more dangerous. <laughs> There's no question about that. But uh, I mean... Yeah, the roads do look reasonably narrow from what I've seen on Google Earth. But, uh, I mean, there's plenty of, uh, plenty of races we do on narrow roads. So it's not like we're not used to this. And I suppose the one good benefit about the World Championships is being such a long race. By the time you actually get down to the final laps when the race really heats up, there's actually probably only half the bunch left in the race and and of that half there's probably only half of them that have still got any energy left to push to be at the front of the group so uh, i don't think the narrow roads will play too much of a, a part role in, in the course where, where the narrow roads will uh play an influence is by the fact that you could get out of sight of the bunch very quickly. So maybe you could have 10 or 15 seconds lead and already they can't see you because the roads are so narrow and windy. So that always plays a big role uh, when you can get out of sight. So that would be something to consider. And what if it would rain, like we saw last year in Yorkshire, um, obviously the rain and the cold having a bit of an impact might not be as cold as it was last year in Yorkshire, but if it's going to be that wet, what does that do to the body during a race like that over such a long period of time? Um, I mean, as long as it's not cold, then, you know, you, 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 it's just more about safety and being safe. Uh, a good comparison for that was the Florence Worlds in 2013 where it absolutely bucketed with rain, even more so than Yorkshire. But it wasn't cold, so we weren't there just frozen ice cubes on a bike trying to stay alive uh, like we were in Yorkshire. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously you need to eat a little bit more. Energy consumption is a little bit higher when it's raining, even if it's not cold. Uh, but uh, the most important thing is just safety and highlighting um, riding in a safe place in the bunch and, you know, keeping space between you and other guys. So if people do make mistakes or crashes, 
you're able to avoid them uh, and, and not be caught out by potentially other people's mistakes. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, highlighting dangerous parts on the course where, you know, corners can get quite slippery and, um, and, and dangerous, obviously, when the roads are wet. So I've looked at the forecast, and from what I've seen, it's, it shouldn't rain before about 5 o'clock, uh, currently with the forecast. So I'm not actually sure the exact uh, finish, estimated finish time of the race. But I think around 5 is, you know, I think. Could, yeah, so I think we could be pretty lucky. And if we're unlucky, it might be only the last lap or maybe the last two laps where we could get some, some wet roads, so, which would <laughs> make it for a very interesting final. But we'll have to wait and see. But I think you did a race earlier this year in France where it only rained for the last hour, and that turned out pretty well, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, if it can keep, if I can keep on that trend, that would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the stakes are a little bit higher for this one. But, uh, yeah, I definitely, I mean, I, I, I don't say I enjoy racing in the rain, but I don't have, uh, you know, it doesn't, my body, I don't switch off mentally and, count myself out once it starts raining so i think that's the most important thing in these bad conditions is just to stay motivated and focus on the you know keep focus on on what you're there to do and that's to try and win and and ride uh, technically well so that you can set yourself up for the best result possible and the problem with rain and bad weather is people lose that focus and, and start worrying about the fact that the weather's crap and 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 that's where they lose the race so it's important just to to stay focused and you know although it might be uh uncomfortable that it's wet and and potentially cold you need to try and uh block that out and 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 stay focused on on the goal for the day and have you already been in uh, in touch with uh, brett mcgee the the national coach about possible tactics or are you going in as a leader with a free role because you obviously also have uh, richie who's coming off a great tour de france uh michael bling matthews might be in for uh for a good one have you guys talked about that or uh we will def we will talk about that in more depth once uh tonight once all the riders get in uh but yeah, we've got some really good cards to play with uh, myself and Richie and and um, and Michael Matthews. And I think the beauty of that is that we're three completely different bike riders, uh, and so we can play three different cards quite effectively. And uh, I think that will be quite interesting to go in on Sunday with uh, with a good tactic uh, like that with some different options. So you already mentioned like the Belgium squad is one to watch, obviously with a really strong team. Um, how would you compare like the Aussie squad to theirs? Is it like just below or? Um, uh, I, I, it's a bit hard to say, really. Um, you look at form-wise, and someone can be in better form than another person, but maybe they're less suited to the course, so. It's hard to compare, you know, if you're better off taking someone who's a little bit less informed but is better suited to a course than someone who's, you know, in really good form that the course might be a little bit too hard for or, you know, needs someone who needs longer climbs or whatnot. So uh, I think we've both got strong teams, obviously, with different characteristics 
and uh, you know each team needs to to play a, a, a broad tactics uh, considering the the characteristics of the riders that they have on hand. And what is then the is there still an influence of team versus country as well? Like for for example, if uh, if Michael Woods or Rigo or Higita is up the road uh, in the final lap, or they are they attacking? Are you going after them? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Are you the first uh, one to close uh, the gap? or? Yeah, no, I mean, I won't chase them down just because they're my teammates, but I, I, I ride uh, I ride uh, 100% from my Australian jersey and my Australian flag and under no consideration will I ever look up the road and see a teammate and think twice. Uh, I would just, I'm just there, you know, I don't, I don't race, I, I find that, I don't think many pro bike riders start races trying to race other people in the bunch. You try and race the race uh, the way, you know, for yourself and the way that you plan to race it. And uh, if that turns out that there's teammates involved in in the final where you are, then it, that's just the way it is. Uh, but I don't think anyone goes into a race going, oh, I just want to race and beat this guy or race off this guy it's like okay this is the plan you go down to this lap and when this attack goes whether it's this country or this country this is the one we need to be following and uh so yeah i'm for one weekend i i don't even to be honest i don't even really consider uh the riders for which teams they ride for this weekend that's completely irrelevant for me Oh, okay, I'm always wondering if it's sometimes you get the feeling when you're watching it when you're watching at home. Sometimes you think like, oh, there's like a team thing that's going on as well at the same time. But yeah, I mean, maybe with some countries with the with closer links to their pro teams, uh, maybe. But um, I think uh, Australians are pretty proud to ride for their jersey every time they do and. I uh, don't think anyone in the Aussie team would would ever cross their mind to do something like that. Yeah. So if we uh, would you be able to make a prediction? Can you give us a podium for Sunday? Uh, yeah. Uh, good question. Um, I think uh, I think Van Aert is definitely going to be hard to beat. Um, but the thing is, I think that. I can see Belgium riding uh, a very aggressive race and uh, that could potentially mean that uh, there are the key riders, Van Avermaet, Nace and whatnot, uh, move early and then that could uh, result in Bernard uh, riding a defensive race and, and maybe not, and maybe supporting, you know, riding to make sure one of his teammates stays away or whatnot. I think for me, the biggest outsider that no one talks about who's going really well at the moment is Kiertowski. And I think that he will definitely uh, be a, an outside bet for the win, I think, particularly if it starts raining with two laps to go. <laughs> he, uh, he, he, he doesn't mind the wet and he's going well at the moment. And he's a very proven one day specialist uh, who, who not a, not many people have been talking about, I don't think. Uh, so I suppose I'd put 
uh, Vanert and Kiertowski. And uh, let's say Michael Matthews to the bunch sprint for third. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was almost about to ask, like, would you be happy to, uh, like last year in the Amstel Gold Race, you're behind a cyclocrosser, like behind Van der Poel? Well, you can't really call him a cyclocross rider anyway, but if you, if it, yeah, you were to the line with him and he beating you for first, would you be happy if another cyclocross rider from Art would do the same at the Worlds? I mean, it would it would have it would have to be you know, you know obviously I'm I never like coming second, uh, like any I don't think any pro bike rider does, uh, and if I was it would it just depends on the circumstances though because it was such unique circumstances in Amstel where I was eighth or seventh on the on the road with three k to go thinking I would be lucky you know I'd just be happy to finish top ten. And if it wasn't for Vanderpol and the group behind of the five riders to catch me and then to pace, you know, for us to work with them to then catch the front guys, I would never have even been sprinting for the win. And then it was really his efforts with about you know, up the last drag, two and a half K to two K to go that really closed down in on, on the remaining guys in the front. Uh, and the only reason that we were sprinting for the win was because of of, of Vanderpol himself and the efforts that he made. So when I finished second to him, I didn't feel like I'd lost the win because if it wasn't for me, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have even been sprinting yeah. for, you know, I wouldn't have been, wouldn't have, you know, if he, he completely influenced the whole final of that race. And you took, if you took one, that one rider out of that final, there would have been a completely different result. And you would have seen Ala Philippe and Fugel saying, cat in mousing it and having a two-up sprint for the win and the rest of us would have come in behind. So uh, the reason I was, you know, I suppose happy to come second um, in Amstel was that I, I kind of, it was such a better result than I was expecting to get yeah. <laughs> at three kilometers to go, if you know what I mean. Was there a fraction of a second in that sprint that you thought, I'm going to take this? Uh Look, I knew, I know how fast, um, Matthew Vanderpoel is, and I, I, rem, I vividly watch, remember watching his sprint in, uh, Brabant Stapil, the, the, you know, the Wednesday before Amstel, uh, where yeah. he led the sprint out in front of Matthews and Alaphilippe, and, and they didn't even get close to him. So I knew how powerful he was, uh, but I was just hoping that, with the amount of effort that he put out to close those gaps that he did firstly to me and Bolkamolova and then to the front and then to lead out our group for the sprint with 600 meters to go, I just thought to myself, if there's ever a time this guy's beatable in a sprint, it's probably now <laughs> at a downhill sprint and a 600 meter lead out. And so I wasn't, I, did, I, I didn't, I wasn't going in the sprint going, I'm going to beat this guy, but I, was going in the sprint going, if I'm ever going to beat this guy, this is the closest I'm going to get. And yeah. I mean, I tried to come off him with 50 meters to go and kind of got next to him, but I, I wasn't really ever uh, close to, to beating him. What what he did that day was absolutely amazing. So is that the, the, the one, the race that you look forward to most afterwards? If it goes ahead, actually, I think they're still just going to decide this week if it's going to go ahead. Yeah, I'm not up to speed with that. Uh, we're still finalizing my program for now. 
Um, because I missed the Tour de France, I, I could potentially be going to the Giro instead, um, which will be uh, great because I need. I'm really looking forward to doing some extra racing. But obviously, it'll be unfortunate to miss the, the classic season. So we just need to wait until the team makes a final decision on on which way I go with my program, whether to stick with the one day racing or or if I go with the Giro. So. Once I know that, I'll be able to, um, be able to communicate uh, where I'll be. But uh, I mean, I, I always look forward to doing the Ardennes Classics, no matter what. And uh, to be honest, I'd be happy either way with whichever program the, the team decides to send me to. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Because obviously Flash Wallonne is already on Wednesday and uh, Liège is already next Sunday and uh, Gold Race would have been a week after. But it also sort of aligns with the yeah. Turbo Talks fan question that came in because we put out a request for a fan question on our text social channels and uh, people at home definitely responded to that. Uh, there was a question from Ben Berry and he wanted to know what are the biggest changes with training this year and how has the race selection process changed? Um. Yeah, that's a tricky one. I mean, in terms of uh, of training, uh, obviously we've had to really step up the amount of intensity we do at home because we don't have any races that we can use to to uh, to top up that intensity part of our training and preparation for our goals. So pretty much we've had to come into this block ready, ready and racing, ready to race. Uh, with a complete preparation, and that meant uh, doing a lot of in- intensity training at home, uh, you know, m- a lot more so than we would normally do. Uh, but apart from that, I mean, we kind of, I suppose, just felt a little bit like triathletes that just do all their preparation and training at home, and then they rock up and race, and they're ready to ready to perform on day one. So it's changed the game a little bit for this year, but. I think the important thing to just to remember is that everyone's in the same situation. We're all on the, in the same boat, so you're not competing against someone who's had, you know, 70 race days and you've had 10. So um, it's quite a, a, level, a level playing field, I think. So, and how was that for you when you were spent lockdown in Andorra? Um, right, yeah, doing obviously a lot of then the training, maybe the intensity blocks as well on the tax trainer. How was that for you? Yeah, I got pretty friendly with my my tax neo. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, I yeah, I did uh, pretty much eight weeks every day on my tax trainer out on my terrace, and uh, I mean, I just went kind of back into a maintenance phase, so I wasn't smashing out, uh, ex, you know, uh, exaggerated days on the on the trainer, but just enough to keep the body under a bit of stress that I kept uh, a certain amount of condition so that when I did step the training back up, I was I was in a fit enough condition that I could do so without having to, to start from square one again. Yeah, and after all that building, now you've got the good legs to, uh, to play a big role on Sunday, hopefully. Yeah, that's it. All Ready right. to go. All right. All right, time to wrap it up. Uh, we'll leave you to it on your way to Imola. Have a safe trip. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. It's going to be going to be a great weekend. I think that Italy 
every time we have a Worlds in Italy, it always it all, it's always a very special race. And uh, if I look back, having done Worlds in in 2008 in Varesias and under 23, and actually also in 2004 as a, a junior in Verona, and then uh, in Florence in 2013, this will actually be my fourth World Championships in, in Italy. So um, I've always enjoyed uh, doing uh, World Championships in Italy, and I, I'm looking forward to this weekend as much as ever. And is, and is the is the wife even look more looking forward to it because it's in Italy in her home country? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean for her it's uh, neither here nor there. My I don't my family doesn't come to to, to my races, so they support me from home, and uh, I'm just going to pop down for the weekend and um, ride a couple of hundred k, and then I'll be back on Monday. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's hope you return on Monday then, uh, then with a medal or at least an, uh, one for your teammates. So you definitely would have a good weekend. So uh, thanks again. We're going to wrap it up, uh, but not before no a quick reminder to our listeners to subscribe to the Turbo Talks podcast, tell a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us uh, getting other cycling fans to listen to the insights of riders like Simon. So thanks again for joining us, Simon. Look forward to following you on Sunday and the rest of the season. No worries. Thanks very much for having me and I hope everyone enjoyed the podcast and uh, maybe they can be listening to it on their tax neo, punching out a, another post-work or pre-work session uh, and uh, looking forward to chatting again with you guys soon. Alright, awesome. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you never stop cycling. This was Rob Bauer with Simon Clark of EF Pro Cycling. Stay tuned for the next Turbo Talks. <laughs>